And welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein, joined by Jason Gay. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Jason. Today we're going to talk about climate change. Specifically, how do you raise your children knowing that they will likely have to face zombies in the upcoming catastrophic climate crisis? It's a good one, right? I like it. We're going to talk to Camilo Mora, a professor at the University of Hawaii who wrote a mind-blowingly depressing paper on the topic. (laughs) The choices are between bad and terrible. Right now, what we had, but I'm telling you, you don't want to be in a terrible situation. And Patrick Coleman, Fatherly's own parenting expert on how do you talk to kids specifically about this topic. And if you saddle them with this idea of, of ecological catastrophe, they can actually grow disengaged with the natural world. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Are you worried at all as a dad about climate change? You can answer honestly. No, I mean, I am not, you know, terribly far removed as a resident of New York City from Hurricane, was it Sandy? (laughs) Yeah, Sandy. Sandy, which, you know, put the neighborhood adjoining my neighborhood underwater. Yeah. Where do you live again? I live in Carroll Gardens, New York. So the only thing standing between three feet of water in my basement was the sunken Brooklyn Queens Expressway, which yeah. basically serves as a, you know, a, a levy. A, yeah. A levy. Um, and, you know, got to see up close and personal, some real anguish for residents who live in those low lying areas. And that was something that a lot of people, you know, never thought they'd see in their lifetime. You know, as we're talking about all these kind of like, shiny bright objects in Washington and celebrity, all this stuff that there's this massively massive existential crisis playing out. So I basically have uh, two things that I'm thinking about that I think about quite often. One is what can I do as a parent, but more so just as a person to make a difference, if anything, Yeah. how how to not surrender just to nihilism and despair. Yeah. Then also, how do I prepare my children to function in a world that I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think it's going to look better. You know, I don't think they're going to have the security, the food security, the climate security that we have. What skills should I pass on to them? And then the other part of parenting in a time of climate change is, should I bother sweating the small stuff at all? Like, I don't love it when Achilles says... Fuck you, you asshole. But on the other hand... In the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, who cares? Don't do your homework. <laughs> I, fine, stay up late. We're going to be battling for resources, yeah. and the world's going to be burning. Have your fun in the sun while it's not burning your skin. You know what I mean? And that's what we're going to talk to you, Camilo, about. He has a daughter as well. So I'm so curious yeah. about, A, this paper he wrote, and B how he talks to his daughter, and see how we should talk to our sons. Camillo. Hey, Josh. How are you doing, man? 
Camillo, so this is the Fatherly Podcast, and we talk about all things related to raising kids. I kind of explained it a little bit um, earlier. You came into my orbit from that New York Times piece that ran a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, about the study that you was were the main author of in Nature. Um, yeah. The headline was something like, it's going to be like a terror movie. Yes. And basically, in the study, you talk about what the world is going to look like if we don't take serious mitigating action by 2100. And broadly, I'm interested in how do you balance that certitude, near certitude of impending doom with raising kids. But before we bang into that, could you walk us through a little bit of your paper and some of the major insights and how you put it together? It's pretty unique, I think. So, yeah, I mean, this paper is pretty unique in the sense that we wanted to put the evidence together. So when we were reading a we, we were reading papers here. We are uh, at university, and a lot of my a lot of my grad students obviously want to get a handle of overall knowledge. And one of the things that we start realizing with most of the knowledge on climate change is the fact that it's very vague. You know, when you say a hundred thousand people are going to die from heat waves, or when you say sea level rise is going to destroy houses, livelihoods, and things like that, those are that's, that's pretty scary. But where is the evidence? Mm-hmm. What has that happened that let the scientists con- make those conclusions? So what we decided to do on this paper was to collect all of the evidence of things that had already happened. We're not talking about what will happen in 2100. We're talking about what did already happen. And we, re- we thought that there might, be, there might not be too much evidence. And we came across 3,000 scientific papers pointing out cases of how climate change had already impacted human life. You know, from people dying during heat waves, from people dying during hurricanes and floods, to people not being able to drive a car because the roads got damaged, to people not even being able to take a flight because it's so hot that the air doesn't allow the, the planes to take off, to electricity being shut down because there was a, a malfunctioning of the system because it was just too hot. And then we started identifying this thing all over the place, and then you just realize when you put all of this evidence together, it's like pieces of a puzzle that when you put together, you realize, oh my God, this is really scary stuff. And again, it's not to dramatize the thing, but you just need to put yourself on the lives of people that pay the ultimate cost already to climate change. And then is when you realize why in the in the New York New York Times article, I say that this is like a terror movie. You just need to put yourself on the situation of the people that lost their lost their lives already to realize that that was probably pretty scary for them. It's just a matter of time before that comes for us. I think one of the things that is so striking about the the study is that you really weave a full fabric of how all of the crises are interrelated, and I think you had mentioned that. In a lot of previous papers, the scope is so narrow that they might tackle one aspect of it. The researchers might tackle one aspect, but they don't synthesize uh, or do a quali- quantitative kind of um, synthesis of a bunch of different consequences. And that's what you do so terrifyingly well in your paper. I'm very glad that you point out that, that issue of the fact that all of these things come together and are connected. 
So normally what happens with climate change, we normally associate with the increases in temperature, and we normally relate to a polar bear in the, in the Arctic on a popsicle there, right? That's kind of the poster child of climate change, just the increase in temperature. However, one of the things that happens is that when you increase temperature, the, the water that is in the soil evaporates, and then you lead to drought. When the water runs out on those places, the heat that comes from the sun has nowhere to go, and then you ended up having heat waves. And when you had droughts and heat waves, then you had the prime conditions for wildfires. So you had three things that are connected to each other that will happen exactly in the same place. California is an example of that. They have gone through the longest drought in record to heat waves that force people to stay indoors to some of the massive wildfires that are on record as well. So we're talking about three climatic hazards happening simultaneously as a consequence of us just doing one thing, which is to increase the temperature of our planet. The analogy that I give to this, this is like me getting into a fight with Mike Tyson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone at the same time. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you, but, but just for the record, Joshua probably thinks he could win a fight against Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Tyson. Oh, no, or Tyson. Or, to run fast enough. He's, he's, he's could, quite a brawny, brawling guy. I, I you've do, not met in person. but Two-thirds of them now, and they're, I think they're all in their 60s. But, um, Camilla, like, hearing you talk about this, right, it's, it's, it's dire. I don't think anyone thinks it's not dire. Do you ever worry about, and then we're going to jump a little bit more into the parenting aspect of it, but do you ever worry that you'll be a Cassandra because it's just too much for people to well, the, understand. That is, yes, that's the hard part for the scientists. Unfortunately, it's, no more, it's not going to make it any less, any less true. Right. You know, I mean, why is it that now for us to, to cure from this problem, the solution is to not talk about the problem. This is like me having a, a cancer that is being caused by me smoking tobacco and now it turns out that talking about the cancer and the tobacco is just too hard to me. Oh, my God, I get all frightened by it. So let's not talk about it and let's wait for the best. And, and that is the attitude that we are taking with climate change, which is never a good time to talk about it. When these things are happening and killing people, the recommendation of the politicians is, no, 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 this is not the best time. So when is the best time? One of the points you make in the paper, which I think is well taken, is that in developed countries, you see the effects of climate change primary, primarily being loss of uh, economic, uh, economic loss, whereas the cost of climate change even now in developing countries is a loss of life. And because yeah. we live in a developed part of a developed um, country, I think we experience it as either inconvenience, which you're right, the blackout was inconvenient, the heat wave was inconvenient, or loss of economic or economic loss. Um, but yeah. we're not experiencing that dramatic loss of life, which is already happening around the world. Yes. Well, that is, again, an unfortunate situation, though, because I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is that in, if you look at the United States, 100 people die on the wildfires in, uh, in California. You know, I, may be, I, I think that it was like close to 3,000 people die on the hurricane in Puerto Rico. That same hurricane could you have been in Philippines or Indonesia, it would have easily been 100,000 people killed there. So just for you to tell the difference between those, the same disturbance happening in one place and another. Now, unfortunately for the United States, we are talking losses of billions of dollars, though. 
So it's kind of interesting how those economic impacts, we're talking billions of dollars in losses, don't ramificate down to people paying more. So because unfortunately we had subsidies and economic reliefs that kind of helped soften the blow from these disturbances there. But again, it's just creating this comfort in the developed world about the issues of climate change. And I, you are totally right. People don't feel it as strong because fortunately for us in the first world, we are very resilient to it, but that doesn't mean that it's cheap and that the problem is getting fixed. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. Now, you have laid out a very compelling scenario, and we are hopefully adult enough here as hosts and with our listeners to appreciate what you've laid out. We're also fathers of some very young children who bless them, are not fully aware of the stakes that confront their world. And I'm curious what you think about that with regard to the future. And I believe you're a parent yourself. And what, how, you, how it informs the way that you parent. Because, you know, obviously you're in a situation where you want to inform as many people as possible that, the, you know, the stakes here. And you obviously have done that. But closer to home, how do you handle it, and how does it shape the way you parent? So about three years ago, I had a, a daughter myself. She's 11 years old now, and we obviously, we do a lot. I mean, she's like half of my, like my life is her, right, just to be, to, to be straight with you on how important she is to me. But uh, one thing, though, is about four years ago, I decided that I needed to do, start doing something. And I started realizing that we, even the scientists, we don't walk the talk. We talk a lot about how bad this is, but yeah. no one of us is actually doing something to fix this problem. Yeah. The best you can do, uh, the best you can see a scientist doing is buying an electrical car. Like it does <laughs> somehow magically is going to fix their carbon footprint. What about your meat? What about your house? Yeah. So I start realizing that we have become hypocrites. Yeah. You know, even among the most outspoken people on climate change, we are hypocrites. Like you can look at, for instance, Al Gore. Al Gore is one of the best person for climate change. He takes his private plane to go anywhere, yeah. right? You can imagine the carbon footprint of that. So I realized that I, even myself, as a parent, I was becoming hypocrite about this. So I realized I, I needed to start working on this. And I started working with school children. Every now and then, when I did have a spare time, I went and gave lectures to the schools. And I realized that these kids were falling asleep within five minutes of me talking about climate change. It didn't take me too long to get those kids to fall asleep. And then what I decided to do was to close my computer and try to come up with a method in which will make this entertaining to the children to do. And what I realized the trick was, was for, to have them giving the lecture. Mm. So now I go to, climb to, the to the classes, four fifth graders, sixth graders, and I have them giving the lecture. And that makes them more excited about it. And I go mind blown by how much these kids no, how all of these things made so much sense that even children can pull the things together to get the picture at the end of what it means, this climate change issue. So now what I do, I bring my daughter with me to all of these presentations, and I realized that she was paying attention, and one day she was giving the lecture back to me. And then I realized, you know what, I'm going to have my daughter giving these lectures. 
So now the two of us go and work together. Every time that we have to go and give a presentation, even the presentations that I get invited to universities, I have my daughter coming and giving half of the presentation with me. So we are talking a nine-year-old girl standing in front of 100, 200, 300 people giving a presentation on climate change. And you will be surprised and amazed by how much these kids know. And that has been my way to get children to, to get to understand this thing. And in fact, they know so much that they are the ones explaining the things to the adults. I wanted to jump on what Jason was saying, though. Like, neither Jason and I are giving lectures to anyone, really, about anything that anyone listens to. But how do you balance the day-to-day work of parenting with the knowledge that the world that your kids are going to inherit is going to be a profoundly fucked up one with with challenges that we, even well, in the, the first the, world, yeah. can't imagine? Well, the thing, there are a couple of things on what you just said there. The first thing is that those things are not independent. We don't live on a movie that we can just turn off whenever we want. Our planet is our home. Right, so that's a reality. That, that that's something that people need to start appreciating. There, for some reason, somehow we got detached from that. I guess it's probably the movies, the security that comes from these countries, that is preventing us of seeing that this is our home. This planet is our home. We have no other planet to go. So when you do that, you realize that your life is intertwined with with what you have to do to fix this problem. The parenting, you know. I mean, I think like. Maybe just because of the way that I am and because how deeply your report scared me, it's more like I am trying to balance not just climate change mitigation, which is what you're talking about and what you can do on an individual level to help um, mitigate climate change. But when all of these catastrophes and crises start happening, how do you prepare kids for for wildfires and for droughts and for living in a profoundly insecure, uh, well, more violent and dangerous yeah. world. Like, I mean, t- this is what I think about. This is kind of why it's an interesting topic. I enjoy talking to you. One of the things I was thinking about is I, for, I get into fights with my kid all the time about doing homework or saying please or not beating up his brother or whatever. And... On some level, after reading your study and reading the New York Times piece that came out of it, it's like, why bother, man? Like, he- No, no, no. The thing is that this is, I mean, this is like imagine not doing well because there are a couple of things that you need to take on my paper, though, which is the fact that the choices are between bad and terrible right now. What yeah. we had, but I'm telling you, you don't want to be in a terrible situation. So right now, unfortunately, we have been so careless that our choices are limited, but I'm telling you, you don't want to get the best the worst of those options that we have left. No, 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 no. I mean, my kid so, will still compost, but I won't worry about homework because in the world that he's going to inherit, which is a bad world, uh, in the best case scenario, and in the worst case, a terrible world, those skills, that doesn't matter. Well, it, well, this is what I'm trying to do with my daughter, and this is something that I constantly remind her when, when she has to work hard and study hard, which is the fact, baby, I tell her, baby, you can change the world, man. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, you can change the world. Don't think that you are in, insignificant for the magnitude of the problems that you have out there. You, so that's the reason why I continue pushing her to be better at what she does at school because th- those are the leaders that we need to form. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, and I think that you point out another interesting example, though, that I want to touch briefly, which is this issue between adaptation 
and mitigation, and it's similar to the guns. You know, uh, there was a shooting recently, and Santorum, Santorum, this senator that got beat up by the president election last time, he came out saying that the solution to this problem was to teach the, kill, the children CPR yeah. after being shot, so that if you get shot, you know the CPR. I mean, what you, you get his point, right? What he's suggesting is we're going to be living with these shootings all the time. Let's train the kids. To, to to survive on those situations of a shooting. I was thinking, no, that's not exactly what I would like to do. I would like, I would like to prevent that shooting in the first place. Right. So it's the same situation with climate change here. You know, where we might try to adapt to these things and maybe think that there is no hope to this. This The alternative is adaptation. Now, let, let me get back to my analogy of Mike Tyson. And imagine that Mike Tyson and I are friends, and every now and then he keeps beating me. He friendly, right? He just punched me, but the guy's so strong that I just get beat up by him every every t- by him every time that he wants, and I get these bruises. And he's a close friend of mine. So what is my solution there? You know what? I'm gonna buy this protecting gear, and I'm carrying this thing around so that every time that he punched me, I don't get hurt. That will be adaptation, L- knowing that you are gonna be living with that pain in your ass forever, <laughs> or you can just tell my Tyson, you know what, man? I want you to stop biting me. I want you to stop punching me. Right. That is mitigation. So right now, this is the choices that we have right now. And to be honest with you, I'm not giving up on the possibility that we can fix this issue of climate change. I don't want to be living with that thing biting us all the time. I don't want to be living with the constant reminder that I cannot go outdoors because I might die during a heat wave, that I cannot go yeah. to Florida because I might, be, I might get killed by a hurricane or that people in Africa is starving to death because they cannot produce food. And then now all of these people is going to migrate to my country. And now I'm going to yeah. feel all xenophobic about these people because they come here poor and they are going to create a, a situation that why do we have to accept that at this moment when the difference is when we can make the difference there. So as a parent, again, I go back to my child and I say, yeah. we're going to be working as hard as we can because we cannot give up on this. Camilla, you are clearly a passionate man, a very well-informed one, an amazing researcher. I really, as depressing uh, and difficult to deal with as this paper is, it's also, I think, should be required reading for everyone. Um, it is, not, I wouldn't call it a joy to read, but it's an important read. And I appreciate you coming on our show. Thank Aloha, you. as I said. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. My pleasure. Coming up next, a word from our sponsors. Nailed it. I think it was my fault because I didn't ask the question, but what I really wanted to, maybe I did ask it. Is how I do you, think we asked it. I think that he... Uh, I don't think I got it answered, though. My my question is, how do I talk to my kids about it? What is a way that you can talk to a five- or seven-year-old about the fact that this interwoven fabric of crisis and catastrophe will certainly mean that wildfires, sea level rise, drought, infrastructure decline, the rise in mental illness, rape, murder, burglary will happen in their lifetimes. Well, I think what you're struggling with is, <laughs> candidly, the unwieldiness of it all, right? This is not like talking to your kids about jeweling, you know? This well, is it's, the unwieldy, it's, un, it's, un, it's unwieldy and deeply dis- 
bear inducing. It could be. Kids might find some of it fascinating, though. I think kids are curious about tidal waves and. You know. Not when they're looming over. <laughs> You're not curious <laughs> not when it's the, like looming over you. No, but I'm. But I. I think kids are sort of you know curious about natural phenomena and unnatural phenomena. Yeah. And uh, there's a way to make all that sort of stuff interesting. They probably are not going to draw all the existential connections that you're making as a parent, as somebody with you know theoretically less time on the shelf than they have. Oh, much less. Um, but you know who does know how to talk about ooh, yeah are you ooh, ready for this who patrick coleman oh of course do you know patrick a little bit no you don't you're so <laughs> full of shit <laughs> but nice job patrick is our father is fatherly patrick is fatherly's uh parenting editor mm-hmm. he answers questions like i i talk to him on slack all the time and i ask him wait a second fatherly's parenting editor is that yeah. like sports illustrated sports editor like that sounds kind of a funny title uh, like, I don't handle that fatherly stuff. I do parenting here. Well, as you might know, Fatherly is a panoramic brand handling all aspects of the fatherhood experience in the Ooh, modern age. I like that. And not all of it is tactical parenting. No. Patrick's really good at the tactical, like, what do I do? Actually, Patrick, we should talk to you at some point later. He has been doing these stories which are like, I parented like a Russian parent for a week and it didn't work. <laughs> I parented like a Chinese parent for a week, and it didn't work. And I just think his fucking kids must be like, what the fuck is going on with dad? Why is he making pissing sounds in our ear? <laughs> I parented like the great Santini for a month. Yeah. My kids moved out. So, yeah, so I think Patrick can help us with that. Do we have him on the line? Hi, Patrick. Hey. So we just got off the phone with Professor Camillo Mora from the University of Hawaii, who wrote a debilitatingly despair-inducing report of the impending climate change catastrophe that will hit us <clears throat> certainly by 2100. It'll either be yeah. bad or terrible. Yes. Um, and the question that I had coming out of it, uh, yeah. other than, like, why is anything worth it, is <laughs> how are we supposed to talk to kids about this, particularly my kids? Yeah, I mean, we are going to saddle our kids with a climate that is not going to be fun for them. We would like to be able to talk to them about that and get them involved and uh, uh, in in changing things. Uh, but the problem is, is that the younger children are, the more difficult that can be. And in fact, if you broach this stuff too early and if you saddle a child with existential despair, catastrophe, yeah. Uh, And if you saddle them with this idea of of ecological catastrophe, they can actually grow disengaged with the natural world Ah. and, and, and decide that they would rather be inside kids, basically. (laughs) <laughs> and really, there, yes, there's a there's a word for this, and it was coined by a guy named David Sobel from Antioch University, okay. um, and it's called ecophobia. There's a actual psychological reason why uh, telling your kids about these kind of catastrophes does not work, especially when they are younger. 
Because when they're younger, their brain does not actually have the capacity to understand time and distance, right? So if you say, hey, someday Orlando is going to be underwater and all and Mickey Mouse will be dead someday. <laughs> uh, they're like, wait, Sunday? <laughs> Tomorrow? That's just it. Yeah. They don't understand. Right. Like, you know... Even even kindergartners, you tell them that something is going to happen, you know, a day after tomorrow. Yes. They don't understand what that means. Yes, yes. That's, this is a lot of why they get freaked out by stuff on TV, because if it's on the screen, then it's as good as in their room. Right. It wouldn't be Mickey Mouse that would be dead. It would be the human inside the Mickey Mouse mm. costume who mm. would be dead. But who's already <laughs> probably right. dead already, boxed in by late <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> And all his hopes and dreams weren't to be in the middle of a made-up character, another exactly. subsidiary of a gross global empire, spoon-feeding <laughs> us entertainment while taking all of our money and mistreating their workers. Yes, exactly. You guys want to watch some comments? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's go see a Pixar film. Um, I, no, but I think that's a very good point. Uh, well, you know, it's Do a we buy this? Do you buy the idea of echophobia? I do. I do, actually. Because I do, I do because you you don't if if you can't if you don't understand uh, that system and you are told that it is going to crumble and there's nothing you can do about it um, or you try to do something about it um, and and nothing changes then I think it's natural to sort of recoil from that. But there's a solution. There's a good way to go about it. That's, that's the good news. If you start early and if you're waiting until sort of fourth or fifth grade, you can, you can get them into this um, in, in a very um, uh, sort of incremental way. Okay. So when they're in kindergarten, you'll want to start, helping them understand sort of the cycle of the seasons, right? Um, not, not climate, but, but, you know, weather and how the seasons change and how the trees change and, you know, sort of the rhythms of, of migrations and stuff like this. They're already sort of attuned to it because, you know, you have holidays like Easter and Christmas and, you know, and other holidays that are sort of tied with the, seasonal passing so you can you can help them do projects and sort of get them kind of keyed into this cyclical nature of of uh of our ecosystem okay and then as you move into first grade um you can get kids out sort of in the garden uh helping plant flowers um this raking contact raking yeah exactly Anything that gets them contact with nature, their hands in the dirt, Topiary. on leaves, with sticks, you know, looking at bugs, looking at things that grow, having conversations around those things that you're experiencing. And that sort of gets them into, into uh, uh, those natural cycles. The next year, kick it up a notch. You start, uh, you start growing vegetables or um, or or helping more intensely with gardening so that they are becoming stewards of sort of a natural place, right? And they in fourth are, grade. 
in, well, no, you got another grade. Then you go into third grade. <laughs> and then you get them involved in stuff like, um, like cleaning up their, their local environment, right? Get them out on a neighborhood cleanup day, um, you know, have them, have them go up and pick some trash, you know, sort of get them out into the community so that they understand this, that, that the ecology uh, extends beyond their, their yard. And then once you get into fourth and fifth grade, you can start really getting them into. This is all going to burn. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can start getting them into stuff like recycling so they can have an even bigger sort of stewardship and understand where they are connected into this process. And then by the time you get into fifth grade, you can start, you can actually even give them stuff like, like, Hey, we want you to, you know, check out the thermostat. We want you to, you know, uh, monitor the, the, the energy that we're using in the house and remind us to turn off the lights and, and connect their, uh, uh, connect the rhythms of the household to, you know, the larger ecosystem and really give them a sense, uh, a greater sense of stewardship. And by that time, you will have been able to talk about the reasons for it. And they won't be so scared because they'll have a sense of agency. Right. I think that's something that Camillo said that rang true as well, is that he he thinks one of the best things he can do is empower his child so she feels that she can make a difference. I live in a house of very rigid recyclers who are three and five years old. Like, am I like, are they prodigies or are they been taught way too early and this is going to have a uh, possibly... uh, a backlash. No, they know that if they don't recycle, they will be disrespecting their mother. This is true. Yes. This is true. And then they tell me when I don't recycle. That you're disrespecting your wife. That's <laughs> your wife. They no, say exactly that's that how they refer to their mom. Dad, your wife is. <laughs> they're yeah. most definitely prodigy, prodigies, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Thank for you. sure. That was, they're, that was they're the brilliant. only answer, and you nailed it. Thank you. Patrick. They're, they're eco warriors. <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us to talk about this. I think it's useful. Not a fun conversation, but it doesn't have to be a traumatic one. I mean, with no, our kids. No, this was fun. A- Sorry. Yeah. Awkward phrase. Hey, and, you know, if all else fails, um, I believe you could probably still stream episodes of Captain Planet. You know, it's worth a shot. That's true. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Jason, 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 we're all going to die. Yeah. Wrap up. Jason, we're all going to die. We are all going to die. That was a fatherly podcast. I want to thank Jason. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. We are all going to die. Yep. That is the truth. But something relatively therapeutic about this podcast is that, you know, I went in here today, you know, the big worries in my life were, you know, I got one kid at a school with a head lice scare. I got mm. one other kid at a school pinworms or something nasty yeah, pin like pinworms. Ugh, pinworms, right? I'm not worried anymore. Yeah. Those are just drops in the ocean compared to the hellscape that's coming their way. Drops in the ocean <laughs> of plastic. I mean, I don't know. I kind of had the opposite uh, experience. Coming into here, I was like, you know, I don't need to sweat the small stuff because we're all going to die. Yeah. But then Camilla was all like, no, still sweat the small stuff and we're all going to die. Yeah. So now I feel like I came out of it with... And, and Patrick was like, yeah, bro, you talked about it with your kids way too soon. Because I've definitely just talked to, talked about them with climate change. You don't necessarily have to buy into that professor's theory. Like, echophobia, your kids might be immune, you know? 
Like, is it like? Yeah. No. That. I mean, is it like talking to your kids about like the haunted house on the hill? Like, you know, you don't want to like make it too crazy because they'll never they'll like hate walk hills. by it. <laughs> <laughs> they'll move to the Great Plains. Um, no, I don't know. I, yeah, the Patrick thing, I feel less insecure. I feel fine. I feel like my kids can handle it, and they're already fucked up in their own beautiful ways anyway. Echophobia is a kick-ass name for a hardcore band, too. Don't you uh, think? It's true. Yeah, I mean, we... Echophobia we, with anthrax. Yeah, especially if there's a lot of reverb, and it's echophobia. <laughs> no, no <laughs> reverb. There's no, no reverb. reverb. Super clean sound. <laughs> no reverb. Echophobia. I feel less insecure about that, and more that... I feel better, actually. Like... I don't I don't know how I feel. I'm a mystery to myself, Jason. I do think that I need to still parent for tomorrow and today yeah. and tonight be, tonight and be thinking about the long-term future of our kids. I was refreshed, honestly, by Camilla's uh rolling of the consonant R, yeah, which well, was hella impressive. Yeah. And his passion and the fact that he actually does walk the walk as well as Talk the Talk, and also his strange obsession with Mike Tyson. You've been listening to the Fatherly Podcast. My name is Joshua David Stein. My host is Jason Gay. We default to talking about boxing, even though I don't feel the need to do that, but we do it anyway. Uh, this show was produced by Max Savage Levinson. I am also a producer. I want to be a producer, so I can say it. I'm Joshua David Stein. The executive producer is Andrew Berman. If you have a parenting question, call this hotline. No one's called the hotline. 732-416-4571. Just call the hotline. Mom. I know you're listening. Call the hotline just to tell me that you love me. The phone call is coming from inside <laughs> the house. Uh, dude, I don't live with my mom anymore. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> well, talk to you next week. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Okay.